Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasida from Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group, and I'm joined by my colleague and friend, Peter Bagshaw, GP and CCG Lead for Mental Health. That's just great. And today, Peter, we're talking about dealing with stress. Is that something you've ever come across at all? <laughs> We've just come off a, a live podcast recording so I, I think we're we're experienced about that and sadly we're talking about stress amongst colleagues as well so I, I think everybody gets stressed and you know maybe a, a little bit of stress is a good thing there's a a curve isn't there where uh up to a certain point more stress makes us more efficient uh, that's right a little bit more stimulation makes us more efficient more stimulation again can make us even more effective but there comes a point where we reach our maximum and we we move over the top of the stress performance curve our performance tails off and we feel firstly uh, irritable frazzled uh, frantic and buzzy and, and busy and then we can get exhausted but let's just come back to a definition of what stress is because stress can be a very corrosive factor and one definition is a condition or feeling experienced when a person perceives that demands exceed their own personal and social resources that they can mobilize. So I suppose the key thing about that is we feel out of control. We may have physical or emotional stressors, but we're all different. And so some people thrive on a bit of stress and some, some of us find so, that, that more than a moderate amount is overwhelming. I think that's a really good point. And it's important that people recognize when they're reaching the limits of stress. Do you do you have any things that tell you that you're you're getting to that point of falling off the edge of the curve, Andrew? So very interesting. So falling off the edge of the curve at the far end is is after or at the point when you're physically and emotionally and exhausted. And so that's a very dangerous point. And, and speaking as a doctor uh, to another doctor, Peter, our tribe, our colleagues, um, we in my experience, are the ones with least insight into our own um, our own uh, needs at that point, as as indeed uh, all health professionals, all mothers, and all managers, because we just carry on pressing on, looking after our responsibilities, uh, and can um, can exhaust ourselves. And in that exhaustion, or even in the slightly excited phase before that, due to the extra adrenaline that's going around the system, we lose insight. We become target driven, we become focused and we lose insight into our own well-being needs. So we forget that mantra, own oxygen mask first. We ignore that wonderful proverb, you cannot draw water from an empty well. And we forget self-care. Um, so there are dangers in, in allowing ourselves to be stressed for too long. I think that's absolutely right. So one of the first ways of dealing with stress is learning to recognize when you're in that stressed state, hopefully before you reach the point where you, you fall over the edge. Absolutely. And, and there is a point to stress and to being on the sympathetic drive, which is the alert mechanism, nothing to do with sympathy, uh, the adrenaline mechanism, because it's, it's our response to stimulus or to danger. It's the mammalian response. And so it's important to do that. But that adrenaline response prepares our bodies for rapid physical action to either fight or run away from danger. And in our modern world, to have our bodies a cauldron of seething neurochemicals, which are preparing us for uh, emotional action and physical action when we're not actually doing anything, 
can really be quite a problem. So can can you help us with any particular first way that we could deal with stress? What's one 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 good thing that will help us? Um, Absolutely. And it, it's something we've mentioned many times before, isn't it? So if stress is a way of preparing us for action, then one of the best ways of dealing with it is to actually put that action in, into effect. So exercise is, is one of the most important ways of dealing with stress. And we're lucky in Somerset, if we've said lots of times, there are lots of very nice outdoor spaces to exercise. So exercise in nature seems to bring particular benefits. Absolutely. And there's a whole science uh, behind forest bathing and, and other things on, on our immune system and well-being. But exercise is a word that frightens some of us. Any activity is good. And in order to actually just burn off surface adrenaline, uh, we're introducing something called thinking pit stops in the health economy in Somerset uh, for our for well-being of staff. All you have to do is 10 repetitions of running on the spot or standing up and sitting down from your chair, just 10 repetitions or star jumps or any activity like that, 10 repetitions will actually raise your heart rate. It will burn off surface adrenaline and it will help to deal with some of those aspects of stress. I think that's a really important message. We, we give this general message about exercise, but the specifics are as important, aren't they? So uh, some of us, myself included, hate jogging and, and things like that. So it's important to know that even short bursts of exercise, um, starting at a low level if we're inactive and, and building up gradually, most of the benefits come in those early stages of exercise. Any activity is better than none. And yes. uh, exercise is the word that for me conjures up lycra, but activity sounds a good word. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with activity. One of the issues, Peter, about um, stress is actually that we feel out of control. So have you got any hints or tips on that? Yes, I think most of us have heard a version of, uh, of the serenity prayer, haven't we? Where uh, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. So you're right, a lot of it is about control. And so it's recognising that we can't have control in all areas of our lives. Some things we have to accept. And if that's the case, it's good to just accept them with a good grace. And, and not to rage against them, but to find the areas where we can change things and take control of those areas. I don't know um, what your feelings are on, on that, Andrew. Absolutely. Find solutions that help you feel in control and and manage yourself. I, I think that it's it's worth saying uh, there's some great stuff on the NHS website on stress, and we'll we'll look at some of these um, important areas as we go along. But it's worth saying that the the biological approach to stress, going back to that sympathetic nervous system response, is is the is that it is a response to threat. And thinking about how our bodies work. Those are not just external threats or problems with relationships or problems at work or at home or, or financial worries or uh, other issues. It comes back to complete basics. So if we are sleep depleted, our body goes on to a stress response. If we don't give our bodies enough water to drink, our bodies go on to a stress response. If we don't have enough and appropriate food at the right time to nourish our bodies and we go hypoglycemic our bodies go on to a stress response so all of these aspects are really important to um, address first because if we haven't got the physical body in a good shape 
then whatever emotional stuff we're having to deal with is, is, is even trickier. And of course, the acute stress response is the fight or flight. It's a short term way of escaping or attacking predators and dealing with other acute stresses. The problem I see is that a lot of people are under long term stress and then it becomes very destructive. And we know that other biochemical mechanisms uh, kick in that reduce our, our ability to fight off infections, uh, raise our blood pressure, a bad for our heart and, and various other things. So dealing with stress, really important. I know you're into uh, emotional logic, Andrew. I quite like the um, I'm OK, you're OK approach where we have four ways of dealing with a, a, a stressful situation, three of them sensible and the fourth one, the one we do most of the time. The sensible ones are change the situation, get out of the situation, or accept it and don't resent it. And the fourth one that almost all of us do is put up with it and resent it. Absolutely. And it can be frustrating at time times. Um, just thinking about the fact that the stress response is an alert mechanism, could I just encourage everybody, unless you're driving at the moment, to, to give yourself a deposit into the bank of inner calm, which is part of our psychological antidote to stress. So I'd invite you, um, everybody who's listening, to uh, put your feet flat on the floor, to allow your spines to be comfortable, to allow your uh, wrists, to rest, wrists and hands to drop into your lap, and just to take three slow, regular rhythmic diaphragmatic breaths and just notice how you feel and what you've just done at that point um, is to allow yourself to drop down into a gentle relaxed state which is taking away that stress response peter we're social creatures and there can be aspects with that. So what sort of connections with other people help us with stress? Well, as it happens, I was, I was doing a bit of research on this uh, in, in another area, and they, they have actually looked at connections and being social creatures. And, and they said it's not the, the quantity of connections we have, it's the quality. So it doesn't matter whether you've got a thousand followers on Twitter or uh, hundreds of people in your phone book. It's it's how good those relationships are. And in general, I think we all know people that we uh, were colleagues or, or friends with who make us feel good about ourselves and people who make us feel bad about ourselves. And I would encourage people to seek out the ones who make them feel better about themselves. That's really helpful. And thinking about that, and, and you mentioned briefly emotional logic earlier, we're all dealing with change in life and change can be stressful, particularly as when we have a change, we actually often go through loss. And that's where emotional logic can can really help as as the phases of, of shock, denial, anger, guilt, bargaining, um, flat, low state of depression and, and uh, acceptance are actually the stepping stones to growth. And Loss reaction worksheets as part of emotional logic um, can be extremely helpful. And this is something, again, that we're investing in in the, in the Somerset Health Economy um, for, the, for the benefit of staff at the moment. But we hope very much that it will benefit many patients. Uh, and the, uh, the, the skill of emotional logic is to actually allow us uh, to have creative conversations that, to, uh, that nail down our losses, that, that crystallise our understanding of our losses and find a smart plan that minimizes those 
Uh, we're all going through change. And it's probably important to point out, isn't it, that loss isn't just the loss of a loved one. It can be the loss of youth, health, looks, work, anything that gives our life meaning. Uh, absolutely. In fact, any success starts with loss. We lose the status quo and we lose lose who we are uh, and in order to become who we next become. So it's, it's a very interesting conversational skill set and, and knowledge set. Um, how about length of work? Is that important? Uh, the hours that people work, the hours that people put in at home in, in their various roles? It's an interesting fact that in the UK, we work the longest hours in Europe. And it's very easy then to just stay in work mode and never relax. And that's particularly an issue, of course, now that a lot of us are working from home. So we've got the screen in front of us and we, we never completely switch off. So, yes, I, th I think having a sufficient quantity of time uh, relaxing is important. But again, I think I come back to that quality of time. So you were mentioning you took us through that way of, of doing a deep relaxation. A lot of people think relaxing just means sitting down doing nothing. That's a really poor way of relaxing. So either being active and caught up in something that we enjoy doing, or one of the uh, relaxation techniques that you've taken us through lots of times, meditation, hypnotherapy. I don't know if you have any particular favorites in terms of deep relaxation. Um, th there are many ways, and many of our listeners will have various ones, from Tai Chi to yoga to transcendental meditation to mindfulness um, to spending time in nature. Peter, I know you're an expert on martial arts, uh, and tell us, tell me your perspective on, on, on meditation, mindfulness, and stillness from the point of view of your understanding and your experience, please. Well, it's something I've been interested in for a while, and I, I as a medical student, I went on a, a, mind, a meditation course, a TM course, um, and I found it useful. But having done karate, and it took me 15 years to become a black belt because I'm absolutely hopeless at it. So it was just dogged determination and a very patient sensei uh, that got me there. I found that meditation worked much better after a really intensive workout because you did your martial arts, you had to be 100% focused on what you were doing. Otherwise you got hit on the nose. So it was a very good incentive to be in the moment and focused. And then the meditation afterwards allowed you to focus inside on your breathing, on your body, uh, on the things you were feeling and, and become much more self-aware. So I, I personally found the combination of the two extremely helpful. And that's very interesting to hear that because mindfulness or meditation, often people think that means stillness, but there is something about being in flow and doing something that you're absorbed in, that you're engaged in and that, that you enjoy. Um, I'm privileged to be the medical officer for the West Somerset Railway, which means I do medicals on, on fit men in their 60s and 70s and women as well, um, because anybody who drives or fires an engine or who's guard or who works on the track or signals has to be safety critical fit. Uh, and I think all of us, when we're in, involved in a hobby or a pastime or, uh, or, or a calling, uh, and these volunteers on the West Somerset Railway, it's, it's, it's a calling in a way. It's, and you can see the joy that people are having uh, doing it. It's, it, it. We're in flow. We're absorbed. And I think there's a mindfulness in action when we are absorbed in the joy 
of the present moment. I don't know what you think about that, Peter. I completely agree. There's, it's one of the types of happiness, isn't it? Flow happiness, where we're just at the edge of, of what we can do comfortably. So, no, I totally agree. And that, in a way, is one of the antidotes. And, and I'm not actually suggesting listeners, although we're always looking for volunteers, new volunteers on the West Somerset Railway. Um, it's one of the ways out of, our, our, of, out of frustration and, and stress positively is actually to use that energy rather than let it churn around inside us to challenge ourselves to set ourselves new goals and challenges whether it's a, a sport or a language or, or or going out and 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 building something or enjoying your your cooking cooking a nice meal and learning is something that uh, human beings are designed to do and that may be as a counterintuitive point to a lot of people we think if we're stressed because we're working really hard um, at work, then the last thing we would want to do is have something that challenges us uh, when we've got time off. We'd rather just sit around contemplating our, our, our feet or something. And But actually challenging yourself is a really good way of de-stressing, so long as you are in charge of what you're challenging yourself about. And it comes back to that control thing that we started the conversation with. Especially if if what we challenge ourselves to do is something where we can end up enjoying it or being so engaged that we forget what time it is or, or how long that we've been doing it. Uh, as you said, then we can feel so exhausted that we contemplate our feet. But I think there are some less healthy habits that people use than uh, contemplating their feet, Peter. And uh, as doctors, I'm afraid we're, we're as guilty as, as everybody else of, of using these habits. Um, it used to be said that an alcoholic was somebody who drank more than their GP. Um, be, yes, we are, we are known for using these things. So absolutely, I, don't we can... I don't think that's the case now, Peter. That's historical. <laughs> I look after a lot of doctors, but I don't look after anyone in that situation. But what are the main negative habits that people might use? Alcohol is, is obviously the... the one of them the main ones other habits and um, cigarette smoking gives you that that temporary feeling of calm but nicotine is incredibly addictive and you've got about a 50 percent chance of dying from smoking if you're a smoker and then i see a lot of people who because they're exhausted because of feeling stressed they will use caffeine whether that's uh fizzy drinks or, or whether it's the uh, the caffeine containing pills that give you wings and, and I see people who run into huge problems with palpitations and exhaustion and just keel over that. I don't know what you would add to that list, Andrew. Well, I, I would add on to the caffeine. The reason why people use caffeine is because it's, uh, uh, it's one of a class of, of chemicals called xanthines, which are sympathomimetic. So they act like a sort of an adrenaline accelerator on the body. So your body's running out of its own adrenaline. So you sort of put in something else uh, that will, will help. And of course, there are... Are other drugs that people use? On the whole, most drugs um, tend to be unhealthy, um, and uh, we can talk on another time about smoking because smoking has some very interesting effects on the body. Sorry, the the ritual of rolling a cigarette and holding it to your lips is a very interesting one, and the touching of the lips with with fingers because you're engaging some acupressure points, and actually that is calming in itself, and. Uh, Somebody asked me years ago, why do adults smoke? And I said, oh, well, I'm not quite sure. And they said, well, it's because it's no longer cool to suck a pen. And the reason you suck a pen is because as a small child, we often sucked our thumbs. And that's on a deeply parasympathetic uh, stilling place. Peter, 
I know that you like to go back to our physiology, which is really important because if if we understand that, we can make so much more sense of the world. And a lot of things that we use, like alcohol and cigarettes and so on, it, it's about the brain chemistry and our normal pleasure centers being overwhelmed with these external stimuli. And because of that, it seems that the the hit we get from it is generally short term. Our own body endorphins and the other brain chemicals that we produce to relax and give pleasure uh, don't bother because it's being supplied from outside. So it actually, in the long run, makes us worse. That's not being judgmental about it. It's just trying to understand it from a, a physiological way. You're quite right. Biologically, it's a short-term fix and it's palliative, but it's not curative. Um, and so what sort of things can get us um, producing our own healthy hormones, um, serotonin, the oxytocin, the endorphins? And the serotonin, of course, much of it is actually produced in the gut when the, when the gut chemistry and the microbiome are, are working well. Well, oxytocin is very interesting because that comes from contact and connection with other people, particularly physical touch, but actually just that connection. So is there something about engaging with other people that's good for stress? Definitely, so long as they're the right people to engage with, of course. So, and not just people. You know, a lot of us get huge pleasure from, from animals, whether it's cats or dogs or, or other creatures. And I think anything like that, it, it's, it's individual, isn't it? It's up to each person, but it does seem that those activities produce a long-lasting de-stressing effect, whereas taking something from outside, getting that short-term hit, unfortunately tends to make it worse in the long term. I don't know if you agree with that, Andrew? I agree absolutely, Peter. Um, and thinking about the workplace and, and what we do and how we spend our time, not just workplace, but, but generally, there's um, a quadrant called the urgent and important quadrant because it's not about doing more or working harder. It's about working smarter. And so many of us spend a lot of time in the urgent important or the urgent non-important quadrants or maybe the non-urgent non-important quadrants and we neglect the important but non-urgent quadrant of, uh, of prevention, maintenance, looking after ourselves, building relationships, planning and recreation. And um, this is on page 157 of healthandself.care. So that's, a, that's our resource on health and self-care that's there. Would, um, would that be the one that you co-authored? Uh, I did. Well, uh, yes, indeed. Thank you very much. Yes, yes. a num number of colleagues presented to it. And uh, anybody who wishes to, to read it or listen to it, you're very welcome. And you may see that it's, uh, it's, it's essentially what a number of us have, have put together over a number of years that, or, or accumulated over a number of years that we wish we'd learnt 30 years ago. Um, you should mention that you don't get any royalties, I believe, from, no, from that. No period. royalties. No, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's free to everyone. Um, and there's something also we were mentioning about nature earlier and forest bathing. Do you know much about that, Peter? It's fascinating, isn't it? it it's really become a, a thing recently, hasn't it? And again, the physiology behind that is that that, that cold shock to the system, that, um, that rush of the senses is something that really is helpful. And a lot of people find very invigorating. You'd probably be able to talk us through the, the physiology of that better than me. I think that there's a lot of studies recently, Peter, thank you, that show the benefit of, of forest bathing on interleukins, uh, uh, natural teeth, killer cells and other things. And from the 1970s, there was a study uh, in the States where if you could see a tree from your post-operative 
bedroom window after an operation, you actually got home a day sooner. Um, I think it, it, this stems, thinking about first principles, from the fact that our neurophysiology was designed against a background of blues and greens, of trees and sky, uh, of flowers and forest, and it's actually responding to something very, 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 very important and deep within us uh, that, that helps us. So uh, that's quite useful. And another thing that's useful for stress is to focus on the positive. So often in life, we, we, we focus on the negative and we store up our negatives and we, we criticize ourselves. Whereas if we write down the positives that have been going on um, and, and make a collection, that gives us some positives in the bank. And I wonder if you've got any other com any comments out there or any other hints or tips that you might suggest. I think that that one is a really important one because we can choose whether we focus on the, the good or bad, can't we? And this yes. is really the basis of if people go for cognitive behavioral therapy, this is this is one of the mainstays of that, isn't it? Where you're taught to choose to look at life in a positive way. And it, it sounds a bit corny, but it actually works. And they've done lots of research, haven't they, where if people act in a certain way, then the feelings follow. So people who are uh, uh, who laugh even when they don't feel like laughing actually become happier. And it sounds very corny, but training yourself to look on the positive can make a huge difference. I think there's two very important aspects to that. One is to accept, coming back to your, your, your serenity prayer, to accept, because ex acceptance allows us to take controls over, over the things that we can and to just let the things that we haven't got control over, to, to let them go and, and become less important. Um, but um, it's just so... Uh, I've completely lost my train of thought on that, Peter. Please help me on that. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing fine. It gives me the chance to cough, which I've been trying to do for a while. <laughs> so acceptance is really important. Um, and, and cognitive approaches to help us understand what's going is important. But to, to, to be engaged, um, to get things in perspective, and almost sometimes to stand outside yourself can be useful. And one tip somebody gave me would be to the stressed person, what advice would you give to your best friend if you found them in this situation? And I think that comes back to what you said at the beginning, that we do tend to lose perspective. And the more stressed we become, the, the less insight we have into our own situation. So I would, I would add to the things we've said, listen to other people, listen to friends and family. And if they say, you're really grumpy and irritable lately, don't blame other things. Maybe it's a sign that you are stressed and you need to do something about it. Absolutely. And just coming back to the nature, because it's so important. In Somerset, we've got so much nature. We're very fortunate. Uh, there's a process of relaxation in Japan, which is called Shinrin-yoku. And I apologize for the pronunciation. And it's a simple method of being calm and quiet amongst the trees, observing nature around you whilst breathing deeply. And this has been shown to help both adults and children de-stress and boost and health our well-being in a natural way. And that's forest bathing. I'm sorry if I got the name quite wrong, but that's, that's, that's just, we're learning how important this is. Uh, and as you know, I'm, I've had a, a, a long-term interest in certain aspects of complementary approaches of, of using nature. And I think we're now starting to see some fascinating science uh, about how 
aspects of this can really profoundly positively affect our psyche and lift our mood. I think you're right. And I'm hoping that people will take from this that there's not one road to dealing with stress. There are lots of different techniques and what suits one may not suit another. But all the things that you've been talking about that we've discussed around meditation, hypnotherapy, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, water bathing, all of those things can produce the same changes in the brain. And again, it's not some airy-fairy thing. You, they've actually looked at the, the EEG changes that occur when people do this uh, and found that it, it, you get uh, real changes in the brain. You're quite right. And the two feelings that produce the most profound positive effects are wonder uh, and gratitude. Wonder or awe, A-W-E, and gratitude. And they are so powerful to ourselves. So to actually be grateful or to find something to be grateful for in any situation is always a very powerful positive uh, to help us. I think that's a perfect way to end. And I, I hope that uh, our listeners are able to find awe and wonder in the world around them. Thank you very much indeed, Peter. Thank look you. Forward to, look forward to joining you next time. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.